Hey guys, friend of the show, Shady Rays, has an exciting new offer for all you Passing Dimes fans. For the next 30 days, you can get 40% off when you buy two or more pairs of sunglasses. Just click the link in our show notes or on our Instagram bio to shop these awesome deals. Use discount code TEAM to get the offer. Shady Rays, live hard, we got you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Another awesome guest here on the show. So she's a member of Team Canada's women's team. She represented us at the Pan Am Games. She recently resigned with her pro club in France, so we'll hear all about that. And she's from the great province of Quebec, so she's played Sejep, and she went to Sherbrooke University, so can't wait to hear all about that. Please welcome to the show, Kim Robitaille. Kim, thanks for doing this. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's let's get into it. What was your introduction into volleyball? Did you play in like grade school? Was high school or club your first introduction? Like what made you choose the volleyball as like your major sport? Cute little story. When I started to play volleyball, it was actually in a private school. There was no club. It was really like only between schools. Um, it was around grade seven. Uh, so I had to pick a uh, an activity to play outside of the school hours and then there were there was like pool like billiards there was uh, volleyball with the, the team that was a year older than me and there was like e-games or stuff like that and then I was like okay here's a challenge for me like I'm younger those girls are way stronger than me I was so little I yeah, I went to the first practice. It was so much fun. I loved the team uh, spirit, and playing that sport was so, at the moment, difficult, but really like a good challenge for me. So this is how I started. And what made me pick volleyball a little bit, it was because I think it was in 2002, there was the FIVB beach volleyball tournament in Jarry Park in Montreal. And you know those kids that help with the balls to give to the players? Yeah. Uh, so I was one of those kids. <laughs> and I was so, so, so impressed by the, the players, the level. And I thought, oh, wow, like when I had the chance to play the sport, I jumped on it. Awesome. And do you remember any players from those days? Like, did you really look up to maybe Annie Martin or any of the uh, international players that would have been at the Montreal tournament? Yes, um, I remember Annie Martin and um, I and Guylaine. I also remember uh, I was a big fan of the Brazilians. So Ricardo was there at the moment. There was also uh, Paula. I can't remember remember the last names, but yeah, R- Ricardo and his partner uh, was the big thing for me. <laughs> Nice. And we just had uh, Mike Sleen on the show and he was talking about the Labatt Tour. And with you growing up in Rapotny, he said that was probably one of the best crowds on the Pro Tour, if not the best one. So what's the volleyball community like there? Obviously, I think you're a little young to remember the Labatt Pro Tour, but with volleyball being so popular there, how was club volleyball or school volleyball? Like, it seems like a sport that a lot of people are into, right? Yeah, but I think it grew up the, through the years because honestly, um, I can't remember like a lot of schools having clubs and having that uh, program uh, for players. I remember the challenge of Rapantini. Uh, I was so young, but it was the event of the year. Um, so there were so many people. The crowd was amazing. And uh, I think when it started, there were international players that were there, but I don't 
for what reason there was like a new rule or something happened between us. Abby, I was so young, can't really tell. Um, but it just like got to uh, the Canadian players. So we we lost the uh, international players in that big level. But yeah, that was the event of the year and it was so much fun. Now, one thing we learned about Quebec when we had Sarah Jean on the show was she talked about how competitive high school volleyball is where maybe different than, say, Ontario, high school might be as competitive or more competitive than club volleyball. Did you feel the same experience when you are kind of growing up and playing at a higher level? Totally. So um, there are some schools that uh, you play as a student athlete, kind of. So you're into a program and you... Uh, so let's say when I played for uh, Le Cyclone, you were in the same class as your teammates and the boys' team as well, but there were no non-athlete student in those class in those yeah those uh, classes and that made like the program really really strong and i guess it's the same in every school that had uh, that has this type of program because you're always with your people you're always with your teammates and that creates a really really strong bounding like and i guess you can see it on the on the court after so with that being the, the way your classes were designed, did you cover a lot of sport content? Like, did you maybe get a head start uh, uh, more so than other athletes your age who grew up uh, elsewhere where maybe you guys talked about nutrition or strength and conditioning a little bit more because you were all athletes in the same group? That would have been a really good idea. I can't remember really well. Uh, my <laughs> souvenir is not that good. But um, I think it wasn't there yet. Uh, so it was more to... Um, we had the regular classes that everybody had, but we would, it was the group together that was different. Nice, nice. And when you just finally decided uh, to play post-secondary, what went into your SAGEP decision? Because that's something, again, we've talked to a lot of Quebec athletes that going to SAGEP before you go to university. Did you make it based on a school decision? Was volleyball going to be a big part of your decision? Like, How did you decide which one you wanted to go to? It was a big part of my decision. Um, so let's say in uh, between grade and grade eight and eleven, um, I surfed between middle blocker, opposite, and setter position. And then that coach uh, from uh, the Nordic came to me and said, "You want to try to set and be like so uh, and be really specific to it." Um, so I went into his practices with the older girls, like the Sijab girls, when I was like grade nine, I think. And it was a big, 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 big thing for me, but it made me feel so comfortable. And from there on, I thought, okay, I should just go there. I Just feeling comfortable for me was enough, let's say. I knew it would be like a lot of uh, driving because it was far from my house. I think it was 45 minutes away from my house. And I didn't stay in the residences. Uh, residence? Is it the word? You no, know, you got it. You got it. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, it wasn't a big decision for me to take because to there were no, not that many schools that recruited me. Uh, but I knew from now, from then, uh, Danik, the coach at the, the, that is still there, coaching there, was really a good coach, would be a really good coach for me. So with you coming through high school and club and then Sage up to university, was there a point that you knew you wanted to play professionally or for the national team? Like, at what point did it kind of convince you that you could play at the next level and wanted to do this for a living? Um, I never really knew I wanted to do this. I, 
loved volleyball. I loved play playing with the team. And the moment that I thought, okay, like from CGEP, I can play university. I could play university. Um, I was in a, at a game with my dad. Uh, it was Miguel against uh, Montreal Carabao. And I was watching the game and I turned to my dad and said, Dad, I think I can play that level. And he, he answered me, well, Kim, you're probably the only one that didn't see it before. Like, that didn't believe that you could do it. And from that moment, it stayed on my mind. And uh, I decided to reach university. At the end of my CGEP, there were many universities that wanted to uh, recruit me. And I picked Sherbrooke. And from, from there, I loved the sport so much that I thought, what is the next challenge for me to uh, become better? But before, no, I was more like a year-to-year player. That's yeah. so cool to hear that you're at such a high level, but even you uh, were challenged with confidence a little bit. So with, with everyone around you knowing that you were obviously a very skilled player, but you may have not have felt that, how have you dealt with that now being a professional player? Because I think that's a cool lesson for everybody to hear that uh, even growing up, you weren't the most confident in your skills. So is, is that something you've worked on or was there a moment it finally clicked? Like how have you kind of faced this challenge so you could play at the highest levels like you are? It's kind of funny because uh, even today I'm like, trying to deal with this kind of stuff because um, I'm not the, the typical international setter, let's say. Um, I'm watching uh, Brie, I'm watching Megan. I love how they said, but uh, I'm not like them. And I think like even this year, I got some reflections on like my career, what happened before, and how did I make it like to this point and realize that it's okay like the type of player that I am and a, I yes yes I am different but I can still do a lot of good stuff and have fun and inspire people even though like I'm not the typical type of setter you know Awesome. Awesome. So you mentioned a little bit about your recruiting process. So the, the province of Quebec, the RCQ, I think is, is very competitive. And obviously there, there's some standout teams. I don't want to list everybody because I might forget somebody, but what really separated that you wanted to go to Sherbrooke versus like some of the other top schools that are in the province? There were some uh, points that I, that was necessary to me, like to know that I'm I was going in a team that felt like a family um, and at the moment Sherbrooke it was a big thing like it's a city of students like it's packed of students it's a really small city um, but there was also Montreal that were probably like at nine no at the, it was probably like seven six or seven times at the nationals and then Rougeau was really strong also at the moment but I picked Sherbrooke because there was there was no setter on the team and it was like a spot for me to feel and to see can I help them can I make a difference uh, they were not really winning uh, at the moment and after this first year I thought yeah make the, I took the good decision because uh, we finished first of the pool of the regular season which was a really really big thing um, I think when it happened it was the first time in four years but it was really fun like it it felt 
love like a family, like having those varsity sports always supporting us and us supporting them. It was fun. And before the show, I reached out to a friend of the show, Sarah Jean, just to kind of ask what it was like playing with you. And hopefully she doesn't mind me sharing this part, but she mentioned she was actually intimidated by you in the beginning because of the intensity you brought. But then she got really comfortable around you with how not only intense you play with, but how much joy you have, like the way you would celebrate when your teammates score or when someone's doing well. So do you share that opinion of yourself where you like to be intense, but when it's time to celebrate or really build up a teammate, like that's something you're pretty gifted at? This is so funny. Um, she's so she's so right because uh, I grew up so much through the sports and through the sport and through the years. I think in Sijev, I was so so hard on my teammates, and I could like yell on them, and it was like today I can tell this is so bad. Like I, but I'm I'm really proud of the type of players type of player I am today. Um, I can relate like. It could be really, really intimidating into the <laughs> what's the word? Intimidating, you got it. You got it. Intimidating, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I I realized that like this is not exactly the way that everybody works. And um, I also realized that you can connect in different ways with players there are players that you need to shake them and yell on them but there's also another one that you need to support her and um encourage her uh but i'm glad that sarah likes the way i was <laughs> at some point but really happy uh that i work work it out and um where i am today Awesome. And just for our listeners, just to clarify, uh, you're French speaking, including your studies and when you're at home. So we're, we're very grateful for you doing this interview because we wouldn't be able to talk about you if it had to be in French because I'm just not there. So thank you for, for doing this in English. I know you're, you're maybe choosing words are maybe a little challenging at times, but like I said, you're, you're doing well and we couldn't have done this without you attempting an English interview. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for helping me. <laughs> One other thing I wanted to follow up with what Sarah Jean said is just the toughness you brought to practice. And apparently there's a funny story that you trained with a scarf on one practice because you just refused to take it off or, or maybe it was a training camp or something. But again, just to demonstrate how tough you are, can you kind of give us a, a little hint about what that story was all about? So that story, that's really funny. I kind of forgot about it, but um, we were in Winnipeg, I guess. Uh, it was really cold. It was a, a winter camp. And um, I started to feel really, really bad. And um, I got the, um, not the flu, the, the, the cold. I started to feel it coming, you know. So every time I was breathing, you know, when you breathe in the in a cold environment, atmosphere, it's like really hurt, mm -hmm. painful for your throat. Um, so I needed something in front of my mouth to, to breathe. And my coach was out of his mind, couldn't like support that. He thought like, this is so like shame. And um, he, he said, well, if you cannot train, don't train. And I wanted to to train with the girls. I wanted to be there. I'm like, okay, I'm getting sick, but I can still like push a little bit and then the same evening like couldn't sleep had the had goosebumps like I was sweating I was not feeling good like full fever <laughs> and um yeah but it wasn't right now it's funny but at the moment it was not <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I'm glad you didn't get kicked out of practice or anything like that. Oh, that was so close, though. <laughs> So just to build on your earlier point about being tough on your teammates and intense and demanding, do you think that's something that, that setters have to be based on your position and, and kind of encouraging but demanding your, your teammates around you? And did you ever think that you took it too far and that's a skill that you had to work on? Um, yeah, I think the setter position is really important for that to, I think Bree said, yeah, Bree said something about it. Um, we need to feel how our teammates are on a during a game or during a practice and it's always our job to like step to the hot hand but also like if we feel that somebody is not pushing for the team or is not involved like she is normally like how can I connect with her to help her to be more present with us and um I think there's this like one story about again being really intimidating uh, with a girl. <laughs> it was first uh, my last year in Sijap, and there was uh, there were rookies uh, for the next season that were with us um, for practice. And apparently, I stopped the practice, and I was like, "What is happening? Like, can we play? Can we do something good? Because this is shit." <laughs> um, I was so mad, and. Um, but this, from that moment, I think, from that point, it got better. It got really better. But uh, today, that girl is my friend, and she keeps uh, saying that that was not a good thing when we met. Like, she didn't have a good opinion of me because of that. <laughs> but today, it's all good. <laughs> so when you finally had an opportunity to try out for our national team, kind of the things you've talked about, did you feel like you had a chance to demonstrate like your, your unique style, but also could you be demanding in a room full of other elite athletes? Like when you went to a tryout, were you encouraging and demanding too, or was that hard to do with new players around you? Yeah. Um, the first year I tried out, so it was the FISU tryout, uh, but let's jump to 2016. Um, I tried out for the national team. It was like an AB senior team and Lupo was still there. And um, I thought it was really, really um, hard for me first to uh, join a mostly Anglophone group. Um, I wasn't used to speak English at all. And uh, so first, when we say that a setter needs to connect with the players, I couldn't really do that. And then learning the fast tempos that in Quebec, it wasn't really a thing. And even today, like, we're still trying to speed the game, but it's not there yet. And, yeah, uh, I couldn't see myself being so demanding around a Carla Ritchie, a Shanice, or, like, those big players. Like, at the moment, my friend, Maria Alex, was already on the team, so she was there during tryouts. And uh, even with her, I was... I felt so little, you know, in this situation, and I think I was still young, and it's two years after that that I could, like, after a pro season, uh, that I could be more myself and know what is the requirements for the speed, for the location, or even, like, know a little bit more about the game and be able to ask for it. 
Nice. Yeah, that's a good point you bring up where we haven't really talked about it on the show very much. And Sarah Jean kind of hinted when she first moved to Toronto, even sometimes the drill explanation, she wouldn't quite understand what was being expected. And you kind of touched on it there that being around mostly English speakers. So how have you kind of dealt with that challenge? Because I think that's something that on top of trying out for a team, learning a new system, a new style of offense, that even if the language is different, that just adds another layer of something else you have to be mm-hmm. challenged with. So how have you kind of either adapted or, or overcome this as, as you kind of progress through the national team levels? I think this is one of the points that helped me uh, with my patience, you know, to be really uh, focused on what is the drill, like what they are requiring for us, uh, from us. Um, but when I couldn't understand, so it's like a new language, and also there are new words that, like a volleyball language, that I wasn't aware of because it was in English. And I remember, like, a few times asking to China or asking to Max, to Max is my Alex, to uh, just explain me the drill again or um, asking to a player hey, can I follow you through that drill because I didn't really get it all being um, involved with the national team and starting to play pro it helped me so much with the language because it was almost a full year of speaking that language, speaking volleyball language in English um, and connecting with my players in that language as well um, but before that, it was really, really hard, and uh, I kind of needed to <laughs> watch movies, you know, and <laughs> listen to podcasts, podcasts in English, and um, to help me go through it. Wow, that's just such an extra layer to deal with. That uh, obviously, somebody growing up in Ontario or BC, where a lot of the national team athletes are coming from, we don't have to face. So that's that's exciting to see how you've kind of accepted the challenge and worked through it. With you mentioning that you, when you first tried out, Lupo was the coach, and then I believe Marcello was there when you first entered, and now with Tom there, have you felt a change every time a coach comes through the national team? Like, are they always trying to install their system, and there's just maybe a different mood around the training environment? Yes. Um, so being with Marcello, it was his second year with the team. Um, so the girls were already aware of his system, and um, they knew what he was asking for and how hard we had to work and um i i saw him you know i saw him the first tryouts it was a no for in 2017 but then 2018 it was a yes and um didn't uh just to say about lupo i didn't i just saw him for the try i just had him for a tryout so cannot really say much about him um but for marcello it was the big European style, you know, and um, he was asking a lot from us. We were not used to that, but as a team, as a group, we uh, made it work, I guess, um, supporting each other a lot um, and making sure, like, we had enough, like, food and being, like, if somebody felt, like, more fatigued, we were trying to help her out. And, um, yeah, it was in a really uh, easy summer uh, for my first summer with Marcello but I can say that after that summer like I could work with any coach first (laughs) Um, (laughs) but also like he showed us what his hard work you know we in North America it's not really that vision that uh, coaches have Um, but 
for sure we grew up in that and we learned a lot from that and now with Tom it's a whole different vision where um, we are the vision is to progress and get better every day you know um, and that that connects that connects a lot with me um, I love to learn and maybe it can take me like again maybe put too much emphasis on that on learning instead of just like playing but um getting better every day with tom and with like the staff that we have is to me the perfect combo and perfect vision for this group and this country yeah, just a couple of questions on Marcello before we move on to, to Tom and the current coaching staff. Uh, I've never seen him in the training environment, but just watching on the live stream and seeing how intense he is in timeouts and huddles and things like that, with you being an intense player, did that kind of help you, or was he almost more intense than we've seen in the Canadian system? Like With him coming from Italy and having such a strong volleyball background, it seems like his style was to yell and be very intense. So did you kind of thrive in that environment, or was it just, like I said, more over the top than maybe we, we see in a lot of Canadian coaches? You know, we all, I think a lot of us thought that we could, like, deal with it, but it got so, it was every day like that. So even if it was not a game, it was the same in practices. Um, so the, the thing that we... <laughs> that a lot of us thought is that we're so much under pressure during practices that we would be we will be ready for the games you know we're always like we know that if we make a mistake uh, a mistake sorry we're gonna run or we're gonna like he demands so much he demanded so much from us yeah so i think that made that made us really strong mentally and ready for anything Nice, nice. And you mentioned with Tom and the new coaching staff coming in that there's just so much learning going on. So was that something you felt you were pretty strong at with like the, the growth mindset that he talked about? Or did you kind of have to adopt your style and start doing like journaling or more video or more meetings? Because uh, and speaking to like Autumn Bailey and Jen Cross and some other national team players we've had on the show, like he really brought in a new system and new ways of doing skills where even Autumn, who's a great player, started to doubt her own skills because she had to learn like a new way to do things, right? So as a setter, which uh, sounds like it's Tom's, you know, top position with what his role was with the United States and what he's doing in the NCAA. How did you kind of deal with like all this new information coming at you? First, I felt uh, really behind, you know, <laughs> uh, even like you said, so Autumn or every girl felt uh, behind and not like a good player. It, it was from learning to set, learning to serve, learning to block, um, everything. Uh, to, and it went to footwork as well, like how many steps for an outside hitter needs to do after passing or after not passing. Uh, it was really specific because um, he's he's a geek, yeah, right? He's a really <laughs> good volleyball knowledge person. Um, I think every day repeating that our focus should be on getting better and getting better, we started to believe it and that even after that little bump of not being good kind of we would be really good and i think this is what happened so um putting everything together for martillo like this hard work to getting better with tom getting that volleyball game to the next level um i could see that team going really far nice that's that's good to hear so 
you mentioned um, like footwork and obviously hand positioning and all the stuff that goes into the, the finer details of setting. So with you, Bree and Megan and some other setters being involved, how much room was there for you to be an individual and have your own style? Or are you all doing like identical footwork? Are you all like penetrating from service C the exact same way? Is your hand position the same or how much uh, can setters really be an individual and have their own kind of technique? I think you can put your personality personality out there uh, very easily. Um, Tom is easy uh, and loves actually to see who you are. After that, I think to learn the basis, we all needed to repeat the same and the same and the same. Uh, during the game after that, you're, uh, he's really open to the decision you make, like who's going to hit the ball. And after that, like there's always a feedback loop, like why did you take that decision or what did you see? Or um, yeah, there, I think there's a big opening that can go around that, at least if we talk about it. Awesome. And one thing I remember about Brie being on the episode is she talked about she really felt like she could become a leader with being a setter where she could tell hitters they were late. And even if it was like a vet on the team, she felt confident enough. And she even phrased it where if she wasn't going to be brave enough to speak up, then why was she there to set, right? Like it was part of the kind of the, her role on the team and that made her more comfortable being a leader. Did you experience the same thing when you first entered the program or, or be honest, was there a time that if Jen Cross was late, would you tell her? Like, would you kind of let the vets know that you needed more from them or how have you developed uh, as you've been on the team a little bit longer about being demanding and really taking like a leadership role as a setter? I always tried to do it, you know, because I felt like, okay, this is my second year. Um, I can I can agree that I'm in the team and I, this is my spot. But uh, obviously, like, the beginning, beginning was really hard. And even, like, when uh, there was this new system, they were learning how to, like, ent- uh, how to, to go to the ball. I was learning how to set them again. Um, so we were trying to find, find the balance. But also, like, is the, crew, is the coach approving what I'm saying or... Um, or am I wrong? Um, so it was, it was just trying to find a balance where this ball is what we want, uh, or or not. Um, and after that, we could communicate better. Nice. And this one might be a little tough to answer, but one thing that I find is really exciting with the women's team is you're all training in the same place. Like this summer, I think we had A, B, and Fisu all in the same building. But one thing that can be challenged for the coaching staff is when they, they name a roster for an event, the mood might change a little bit, right? So how do you think that changes the environment a little bit where, for example, you were named to the Pan Am Games team. Do other people look at you different or are they slighted or is it still like a supportive environment or same thing? Like if you're not named to the Olympic qualifying roster, do you still show up to practice and work hard? Like how have, as the, the program kind of managed those tough situations where you can still be you know, disappointed, maybe your name wasn't called, but still happy for the person beside you and you still want to work hard to make the team better? Exactly. So this is the the perfect point that you said. So when you're not named on the roster, example for me, it was called really early. I had a meeting with Tom and um, he said, you know what, we want we want to send you to the Pan Am Games. So automatically I was thinking, okay, so I'm not going to the qualifier. At first I was really sad. And then when I knew it, I was it was probably like two months before, prior the the Pan Am Games, um, and I thought, okay, how can I 
make this team better? How can I help the players that will be around me um, at the games? But it's really, really hard to be rejected, you know, always. Um, after that, it's how, how do you stand back into the game, go back to practices, and, you know, they're all your friends, so you're there with your family, and how um, will you help them to get better always? That, that should be, like, the first thing. What is your role and what you can do to improve for, for this team? Nice. And looking at the, the Pan Am roster, there was a nice mix uh, of younger athletes and some vets. So how did that team, how do you feel like that team kind of came together and performed? Because like I said, there's there's people who've been on the team for a few years and there was some people who may have been kind of early in their Team Canada career. So what did you guys do to bring everybody up to speed so you're ready for a major games like Pan Am? It's really interesting. I love, uh, one point that I loved when I uh, came in the team for the first time uh, during Marcello. Um, Marcello years it was how this group was communicating a lot how did we like um, express ourselves about um, the practices how we were feeling um, how can we get better what is our goals that was um, a meeting that we got really early into the summer and I think being on the same page put uh, put us on um, the same level, if you you know what I mean. Um, even though there were uh, there was Kyla uh, Jen that had a lot of experience with the team and also pro, um, just talking between each other and they made us feel like it was our spot and it was we are on the team as well. Nice, and I think it's always special to represent Canada, but to do it at a major games, I think, adds to the experience. So what do you remember about that, whether it's the opening ceremonies or how busy the event is with all these other athletes going around? Like, what were some of your first impressions of being at Pan Am? It was it was a huge tournament to start. That was the fir- my first thought. I was amazed how beautiful it was to see so many athletes from different countries, let's say, um, at the lunch area. But also, I think our first game was against Peru. It was the, na- the national anthem, and it was a sold-out game. Um, so the Peruvian uh, people are so, 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 like, lovable and also <laughs> really nice to be around. Um, and when they sang the national anthem, for example, uh, it was so loud, couldn't like hear the person next to me. Um, but also, you could feel this energy in the gym, and you could only smile from that, like, and use that. Um, and from that, from that moment through the whole tournament, let's say for uh, for that fan aspect, they loved Canada, and they were always cheering on us. Even if Peru was not playing, you know, and that felt so good for the the rest. Like it was such an amazing experience to be in a village with different athletes, and you could have access to anything, be with your teammates anywhere. Um, but also, like there was this gym um, where you could work out with all the athletes again, and you could see the the different cultures. It was yeah. Very memorable. 
Awesome. And going to a major games, like I said, can be pretty special. And uh, I look back at Canada games and I may have mishandled this where I think, like you said, there's so much stuff to do where when I got there, I felt like you had to be dialed in and you had to be focused on winning. But that takes away from, like you said, the dining hall or being social or maybe watching other teams events or, or going to a different sport. So how as a high level athlete did you deal with those situations were you kind of dialed in and focused on winning or were you trying to really take in the experience and then you know obviously closer to game time you would start to dial it in but how did you kind of treat the event and everything that comes like around your sport and all the distractions with it so i think it was a good balance between um we are there for one thing and it is to win you know and be really or give a really good performance during the tournament we were together um taking care of ourselves with the physio and the physical train uh, strength and conditioning trainer and yes all the girls had their mind into the, in the tournament you know and after the games um after the tournament when the volleyball part was over we could really take the time to like hang out and um take advan advantage of uh, those facilities or watch other games but during the tournament it was really volleyball volleyball Awesome. And, and one thing we always like to do with setters is just kind of pick their brain on how tactical they like to get. So you mentioned you have a unique style. So when the game's going on, what are some little things you like to do? Like, are you big at looking through the net? Uh, you mentioned paying attention to who has like the hot hand on your team. So how do you keep them involved, but not oversetting them? Like, what are some little things that go into setting that you really enjoy and like being strategic or tactical with uh, kind of the game within the game? So early in my career, I learned to play with the block. Um, so if there's a tiny movement from the middle blocker happening, how can I um, screw his game? <laughs> how can I make it one-on-one? Um, so that is the, my, the thing that I love to do. Uh, if I can put my hitter one-on-one and she can score a really, really awesome set i'm like okay i did my job um after that how can i uh, keep everybody involved but setting the hot hand there's also like good moments to uh set the middle for example um, but i love to do to watch video before the game a lot to learn the patterns of the middle blockers in front of me and um how can i um how can i still keep my um, outside hitters and opposite involve a lot without overloading you know awesome and we were we were really lucky to get brett walsh on the show and he talked about you know his coaches kind of had to limit how creative he was and they kind of agreed on this 80 20 rule where 80 percent of the time he was going to stay within the team system and really execute the game plan and then there was 20 percent where he could be wild and crazy and do all this creative and fun stuff so I, again with you having this unique style do you find that you're ever limited with how creative you want to be or do you feel like you have like full permission from the coaches to kind of like you said create one-on-one -on -one, set the ball fast look for options through the net like do all the little things that you really enjoy yeah, I think uh, during my career I got really lucky. Um, so the coaches that I worked with uh, gave me more like a 60 60% uh, freedom to do what I want to do and 40% like strategy, the, mat, the game plan. So that gives me a lot of uh, room to get creative when it's not working or when they see something. So let's say in Kepa with my coach, 
we agree and I love like I love knowing that I'm not alone in that and that we are a team so if there's something that I don't see and that he sees um, to tell me right away and we're gonna make it out we're gonna, we're gonna make it work <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, yeah so I got really lucky for that uh, compared to Brett I guess now, what advice would you give to a younger setter? Because I'm sure once we're back in training, there's going to be a few younger listeners who are going to say, well, Kim Robitaille gets to do this, so why can't I? So when you're running into five and you set a C-ball off of one foot and you're kind of spinning, like obviously younger athletes are going to want to try that. But what are some things that you did really well to kind of get this permission, I guess, from coaches that you could be creative? Because I imagine if you were being wild and crazy and it wasn't working, they would really tell you to tone it down, where it sounds like you have a green light to do whatever you want. But there has to be some execution or some points earning that goes on with that, right? So what do you feel like are some things that younger setters need to have before they can just be wild and creative and really have fun with it? I guess um, not being a tactical point, but more a um, personality point. Uh, You want to be open to what your coach says he's there to help you he's not against you and um he's always trying to make you better so take the advices and try to apply it to your game because it cannot go wrong uh to me that would be the the best advice so with you not only playing for a national team but also playing overseas do the demands change with every coach you have? Like, is the system really changing everywhere you go? Or are there some things that maybe you bring to the team that they help kind of change their system to what your gifts are? Like, when you go overseas, are you setting the same style that you do for Canada? Um, no, I think uh, Canada is one of the team, one of the teams that probably plays the faster in the world, honestly, because uh, we are not so tall and we're trying to beat those big blockers, you know? But... In pro season so far, I got really, really tall hitters, let's say, um, where the fast set is not really working. I didn't play the high levels in first divisions or stuff like that, um, like in Italy or uh, the big big leagues, but the the hitters I had to set were, um, yeah, more like a high ball ish um type of uh hitters we're trying to let's say in camp we're trying to put a little bit more fast balls um because we have smaller hitters but uh it's not as fast as the national team and have you ever felt like there's a lot of expectations on you when you go to your pro club like you not only being a foreigner but playing the setting position where you're contacting the ball so much have you ever felt pressure to perform or have you had a good experience at every club you've played at there is always pressure, I guess, for a setter, knowing that it's the brain on the court. Like, the coach is the brain, and you are the brain on the court, <laughs> uh, trying to apply what he says. But um, having this really good support of a coaching staff is uh, something that helped me through the years. Uh, for sure, there, there are less good experiences for my position that I had. Um, let's say in Germany but uh, overall it was uh, a good pressure and a good uh, team like I'm always saying I am a team with the coach and we're going to the war (laughs) (laughs) nice and and kind of looking at your career you've played at three different clubs so 
when you first started this process, how did you decide what agent you wanted to go with? Like, were there other athletes on Team Canada that helped guide you through this? And then how did you choose to accept your first contract and then kind of lead us through what leads to, to switching clubs or returning to a club? Because I, I know you've only played a few years, but you do have a lot of experience with kind of negotiating new contracts or playing in new countries and, and all the little things like that. Yeah, so how I, get, I got involved into pro um, was because of Kaiva Matej, uh, with the, which is a uh, middle blocker from McGill that I played against. Um, she uh, she was the contact that I had uh, to get an, an agent, you know. Um, my agent is Joris Koista from the Netherlands. He was, we got a really, really good connection from the first second uh, that we talked and um, I felt really comfortable and and confident to work with the guy. And then it was a little tougher for me uh, to get a first pro contract because during university or during my CJEP year, we didn't make it often to the nationals. um, So didn't really have a name out there and I, w- I had to make my way through all those really good setters so my first year was in the Netherlands as well not the big league but a really good league for um, let's say I could compare it to the Fisher team that we had um, in 2015 and uh, after that I made my way through so I had a really good season there um, the coach was really gave me a lot of freedom to do what I wanted um, and to grow at the same time. I got, yeah. And then after a good season in the Netherlands, made my way through to Germany. Didn't didn't happen what I expected, um, but then ended up in uh, France, which I'm really happy because it was the first time I could speak French. Um, it got really easy for me to connect with the players, connect with the team, connect with the supporters, with the fans. And I think that helped me to have a, that was my best year, I think, so far, like overall volleyball and also outside of volleyball. Now, help settle a rumor. We, we've heard this a couple of times, and me not being a French speaker, I, I can't comment on it, but is there a difference between French-Canadian French and France-French? Like, do they ever make fun of your word choice or your accent or any little thing like that? Yeah, I finally <laughs> knew. <laughs> That's so funny. I finally uh, understood what they meant by um, we have a weird French accent. Our French is their grandparents' French. So <laughs> sometimes the words that I picked, uh, they started, they start to laugh at me, and I'm like, why? What's wrong? For example, shoes. We use a different a different word for shoes than they use, and it's always like, oh, my grandma said this, and <laughs> like, okay, fine, I'll be your grandparents if you want. <laughs> Okay, so it is the same language. You just speak like a slang version of it, it sounds like. Exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. So They understand. <laughs> awesome. So you mentioned with you not having like a youth sports championship or experience like that to get a contract. So you kind of had to climb the ladder there. But one thing that's... Uh, special about you I guess is you found a club that you want to stay with so how did renegotiating go with because I don't believe you signed a two-year contract with them right like you're on a one-year deal but they chose to retain you so yes I signed a two-year contract uh, with a a clause um, 
because we are in the second division and the big goal was to go back in first division. And then there was this COVID thing that happened, unfortunately, because we were first in our pool. We were really on the good way to get that first position spot and then move to the first league. My The clause in my contract was that if we don't make it to the first league, um, I'm free to go. Uh, however, I thought, okay, what is the safe, safest decision for me to, to make um, with the situation? And what am I looking for for next season? Because um, I, do I want to go for money? Or do I want to be in a, an environment that I like? And there was a lot of, uh, of thinking for that because... Um, I never experienced it before. Like I really, really appreciated my uh, my year, my season in that city and the people involved in that club. It's really, it's so familiar. Like it feels familiar, but there's also like this really big crowd and good support from the city, um, which you don't see in a lot of uh, clubs in France. Um, how let's say in second division for sure. So yeah, I thought I was really lucky to to be into that. And if the the coach and I has a have a really good uh, relationship together, so um, it was I think the decision to make for me. Awesome, and kind of give us an example of what training looks like because uh having some other pro players on the show it, it seems like it's it's hit or miss sometimes with how much coaching you'll receive or how involved the team is so how often are you guys training how much are you lifting do you live with another foreign player do you live on your own like what are some little things that make your situation special that you enjoyed it to return to the club the coaching even though we were a second division team the goal made it like a first division team so because we wanted to go first division we had a full schedule of workouts and trainings so every day was uh one to three time to three workouts depending on if it was like in the morning a workout in a volleyball uh, technical skills practice or um just volleyball volleyball and then we had like some afternoons off or a morning off before the day before a game but we had really like a six days on seven there was some we had something on the schedule after that about the coaching style depending on what is the knowledge of the coach yes it's not the same as on the national team like you're more by yourself and working on what you can improve because we already know what we can, what we have to improve, what we want to work on. So yeah, uh, there's less coaching and more performance asked ask to do during a during a pro season, let's say. Nice. And tell us about the the city or the town you're in. Like, is it a big center? Is it smaller population? Like, you mentioned you have a a good fan base. Are people recognizing you when you're out for dinner? Like, how how intense do these fans get? I don't get recognized when I go for dinner, <laughs> so that's good. That, that's a, an, an aspect that I really like. Like I can walk in the city, do my thing, and enjoy like the weather or whatever. The city is a small city. Canberra is a small city, but the 
good thing is that it's recognized for uh, the people. The people are really nice there. Like even in France, the, the French people would say that Quimper or the La Bretagne is the place to go for vacations or um, to, to relax or their second houses over there. Um, we're surrounded by the ocean. Uh, like there's so many, uh, not beaches, but places to, to visit like 20 minutes away by car. Like everything is so beautiful, uh, surrounded by nature, which is similar to Canada. So yeah, this is a big part that I, that I like. It's so easy. It's a small city, but people and being close to the water is a massive point. Yeah, that, that sounds great. So uh, I know we've taken a lot of your time. Just a couple more questions. Anyone who has you on social knows that you and Marie are, Marie Alex, excuse me, are, are playing some backyard volleyball and, and doing some other things. But are, is the national team involved right now? Are you guys still meeting? Is there some virtual training going on? Like, how are you kind of dealing with this stoppage and still feel like you're either engaged in volleyball or even improving in some ways? Yeah, we stay really, really connected uh, with the national team. So every day we we have this group conversation going on, um, and um, so we are under the national team right now, uh, working out with the the the, the strength and conditioning uh, trainer, and we have those plans uh, for those programs for every every day almost like six days out of seven. Um, so we keep ourselves busy with that and we have some meetings and calls, um, which are really, really interesting and keeping us on track. Nice, and with you and Marie Alex playing twos mostly, are we ever gonna see you at a beach tournament? Oh, <laughs> not for now, it's only for fun, you know? <laughs> but it, it could be like a really cool dream, but we'll see. <laughs> I had to ask. I had to ask. <laughs> yes. Beach volleyball is so fun. Oh, awesome. So we have taken a lot of your time. Like I said, one thing we're trying to make a tradition on the show is just to tell a, a funny story. So hopefully people who weren't familiar with you before realize that you, you've played at a high level and you kind of grew your confidence and have made the national team and now you're playing professionally. But some funny or odd stuff still happens every once in a while. So I was hoping you could share a funny story before we let you go. Okay, so it really... Uh fun story of me is that uh, I made Team Quebec just the summer before CIGEP and the coach at the moment for the team was my CIGEP coach. I was going in CIGEP the summer, uh, like the few weeks after and we go to NTCC after two weeks of training and <laughs> just before tournament. I'm, I'm paired with uh, Katia Fortier which is a great, great setter, great person. And my confidence was not really high at the moment. <laughs> and I went to my coach just before the tournament, and I asked him really seriously, Danik, can I can I be a libero? You know, like I want to play. Can I can I play another position? Because I, I I know I'm not going to play. And he started to laugh, and he's like, Kim, don't worry, like everybody's going to play into that tournament. And <laughs> I felt so bad, like just before and just because it's gonna be my coach and I'm like not showing <laughs> a strong mindset right now <laughs> and um yeah it just stayed you know I I thought that I would, I would be better as a liberal than a setter into the competition but um good thing it got better through, through the years and I'm fully aware that I can do the job today <laughs> 
that could have been way worse where if he would have laughed and said, no, there's no chance we're letting you pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. So glad to hear that you guys are still involved and SNC still going. It's too bad your season was cut short, but exciting that you'll be back next year. And sounds like you got a lot of good stuff to go, go on and really easy player to root for. So thanks for taking the time to come on the show. That was awesome. Thanks, Josh.